right, good morning, my friend. Preacher John here in Boulder, Colorado today, not in Grand Junction. Just lifted my banner. This is the new uh, 2024 banner. It's called Fire. Everyone shall be salted with fire. Have salt in yourselves. That's in Mark 9. Uh, there's 50 verses in Mark 9. This one here, uh, as obviously always has Jesus Christ, uh, shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. That's in Luke chapter 3, the whole chapter. The chaff he will burn. Anyways, we're talking on fire all year long. We started the first of the year. We'll continue all year. There are 506 verses with the word fire in it. And we're talking about the good part of fire and the bad part of fire. And uh, so far, we haven't been talking much about it on the street here. Uh, we have been doing that in church. Understand that I'm not just a street preacher only. I pastor a church building a church, uh, founding a church, I guess you could probably say it more, clo more closely. And uh, so uh, a lot of my effort is in the church. Uh, there are churches. <laughs> and for those who don't believe there is a church, there are churches. We're all in the same body, just different members of the same body, the body of Christ, where Jesus Christ is the head of our church. And uh, yeah. Anyways, so anyways, I just said, just wanted to say hello, show you the banner that I'm out here, and uh, we're on time, and it's going to be a nice day. So let me put this down, and I'll get my uh, camera set up, and we'll go from there, all right? Talk to you a little bit. Bye. It's a great day in Boulder, weather-wise. It's a typical Sunday in Boulder, spiritually speaking. But I'm feeling pretty good today. Let's pray. <laughs> Lord, I thank you that we can come out to the street, we can lift a banner, we can lift a, a big banner, 10-foot banner, or we can lift the Word of God, a banner of truth, out on the street. We can advertise for Jesus, we can uh, publish His Gospel, we can uh, uh, preach his word uh, we can uh, be a demonstration of the word of god in action we can be a light in the dark world uh, we can be a witness uh, by the power of the holy ghost uh, we can do all kinds of things in the kingdom of god and i pray lord that uh, that people are doing more than just uh, sitting in a pew or sitting in a chair and uh, singing a song and clapping their hands i hope they're doing more than that lord but uh, that's between you and them and not between me and them uh, I just pray, Lord, because you said to pray that you would send laborers out in your field. Ask you, and so that's what I constantly ask every single day, probably seven days a week, I'm supposing, asking for laborers. And so far, uh, 
it must be hard for you to get laborers uh, to, because uh, it just seems like very few people want to obey you. But uh, uh, I am, and I'm being an example to those who also are obeying you. There are lots of us who are obeying everything that you've told us. We are faithful to you. They're all over, we're all over the world, Lord, uh, being faithful to you. And I hope that all of us around the world who are being faithful are, are, are an example to all those in your body that are divided. Lord, let our example uh, show them that being divided is not the way to live, but to be single-minded is the way to live. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen and amen. Wow, that's kind of an odd, odd prayer. Uh, it's just what came. I, I try to pray, like probably like everybody prays. I mean, I'm no different than everybody else. I'm just like you. And that is, I pray what I see in my spirit. I, I try to put words to what I'm looking at. That's, what I, that's why I pray the way I pray. I, when I begin and I open my mouth, it seems like the Holy Spirit fills it. But it comes out of my heart. It's, uh, that's how you get saved. You can't think about getting saved and think you're saved. You can't have thoughts of, of, of heaven and think you're going to go to heaven because you have thoughts of heaven. You, you, you've got to uh, pray. You've got to ask the Lord into your life. You know, you can't uh, hope to marry somebody and think about the person and have pictures of the person, have videos of the person. Uh, you've got to go to the person and ask him, will you marry me? Otherwise, it'll never happen. You can just imagine it all you want. And that's like everything in the Word of God. People try to, after they get saved, and for some reason, the churches they go to uh, don't teach the whole, all the counsel of the Lord, all the counsel of God. They teach how to have a good life, which has its purpose. I mean, I'm not putting that down. We all, God gave us this life to have pleasure in our life, to have a nice sunny day and nice view of the mountains and you know just uh, not have to wear a big old heavy coat and a big old hat and 10 layers of clothes like I normally do and so God provides pleasure but that's not what life's all about that's only a small portion having a good life is just a small portion because let me tell you that good life doesn't last your whole life there are a lot of bad times too in there guarantee it I'm 70 and I've lived a lot of good times but I've lived a lot of very very bad horrible, horrendously terrible life. But then I come out of that and I'm back into having a good life. So when you try to teach people that your life can be good all the time if you do this, 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 step one, step two, step three, step four, and you do these steps, you'll have a great life all your life. That's a lie. Sorry. It's not even in the Bible. Well, it's not in the Bible because they don't preach the Word of God. They preach what they want to preach, not what God wants them to preach. But that's okay. That's between them and God. I'm just bringing that up. A lot of people don't even know what the Bible is nowadays. God bless you, man. And uh, I thought take two, I guess, uh, because there's a lot of us who do know the Word of God. They know which Bible, of all the hundreds and hundreds of English Bibles, which one is God's Bible? Because she said it preserved His Word. And preserved means it doesn't change. You know, you make a a jar of preserved strawberry jam, some strawberry preserves, uh, that's what it is. It's strawberry preserves. You know, he's, that 
those strawberries are preserved in that jar. It's not going to open the jar. All of a sudden, it's a lemon curd jam. You know, it's still strawberries. Uh, and it's not, it's not, and it's not, listen to this, it's not the label on the jar of the jam that tells you what's inside. Most jars are clear, and you can see that it's red strawberry jam, preserves. You know, a lot of people will put the Bible cover, it says Holy Bible, but it's corrupt inside. You know, you can put a lemon curd jam, or whatever it's called, lemon curd, on the label, as a label, on a strawberry jam jar, and people say, hey, somebody mislabeled the strawberry jam. That's what a stalker would say, stocking shelves. I was a stalker, I worked for Safeway for five years, and a couple other stores, total, all together, five years. I stocked a lot of cans and bought, I stocked a lot of jam in my life, back when, you know, back, way back when I was a young kid. And, uh, and that's what they'd say, hey, this is mislabeled, this is mislabeled. So what did they do with the mislabeled? They put it back in the case, they wrap it up and send it back to the shipper or to the manufacturer, wherever they got it at. You know, they don't put it on the shelf. It won't sell. It won't sell. So what is, what is the, uh, so, and so Satan knows that too. A Bible won't sell if you put, uh, you put uh, uh, some other kind of cover that says, uh, this is a man's Bible. This isn't the word of God. This is the word of man. Doesn't say it's, and it doesn't say Holy Bible. It just says uh, evil Bible. It says uh, uh, worldly Bible, uh, and uh, you know it says something like that on that uh, ESV, worldly Bible, uh, word of man. And they look at that and going, that's not, that's mislabeled. No, it's in that case, it it's actually labeled correctly. <laughs> but if you take a King James, you know, anyways, you get the point. You know, you look at the, what's the old phrase that says, uh, you can't judge a book by its cover? <laughs> Just because it says Holy Bible. Anyways, uh, that's another offshoot. I don't want to talk about that anymore. So what I do want to talk about is our Sunday prayer letter. I tell you, I am so jazzed and so excited about what we've been talking on since January 1st. I realize I have not preached a lot of sermons on fire. I mean, that's clear to me. And uh, I've been, you know, it seemed like once a year, every 13, 14 months, it seemed like there's about two or three weeks that I have downtime, just personal downtime. No matter how hard I get up and try to get going, I can't move. I don't know what it is. It's been that way all my life. Uh, that's, but I never know when it's gonna happen. That's why I love the trucking world that I was in, because I, I can't live by a schedule of these two weeks are your holiday. I, I don't do that. Because maybe those two weeks or three weeks, sometimes I got three weeks the last many, many years, paid vacation, uh, wasn't the time I needed for my downtime. Maybe it was my uptime. So I wouldn't put in for vacation time until I know, knew that I was uh, heading for downtime. I needed some downtime, some quiet time, some, I don't know, whatever time. I'm calling it downtime. And then I would schedule my vacation in the truck. I did that for decades. That's why I love trucking. And sometimes I would schedule four or five weeks, sometimes one week, and sometimes I'd go two or three years and no vacations. I just collect the paycheck and put it in my savings. I'm a saver. I don't spend all my money. I save a great portion of my money. Hint, hint, hint. If you're living on more than 50% of your income, you're doing it wrong. I guarantee it, you're doing it wrong. That should shake everybody's tree right there. I know from about 1980, 
89. To today, I only live on half my income. That's why I'm not broke. That's why I have a lot of money and always opportunity to give. I give, 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 give because I don't spend every nickel God gives me. I've owned companies, I've owned businesses, I've been in the trucking world, I wouldn't spend all my income. I've had contracts, I've had all kinds of things. Even when I was uh, going to college on the GI Bill, even the, how small the GI Bill is, I only spent half of that too. That's why I always had money even when I was, and how, did, how do you do that? How do you live on only half your income? You change your lifestyle. For example, when I was living on the GI Bill, how can anybody live on the GI Bill? I can't remember how much it was. It was a very small amount. Well, I have to change my lifestyle. I got rid of my car, got a bicycle. That solves that big chunk. Uh, instead of buying groceries at home, I ate at the college. And instead of eating at the college or at school, I would I worked in the cafeteria. I think it was in, in high school. I don't, think, I don't think I worked in the high school, the college cafeteria. But all through high school, four years of high school, I worked in the cafeteria. Instead of buying my own lunch. Because my last two years of high school, I had lived on my own. And then I moved out of the house I was in and I got a room, a, 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 you know, a, a bedroom. I rented a bedroom in this big boarding house down in Reno off of uh, whatever street that was, just, just south of Arlington, uh, right by the Washoe Golf Course. Yeah, big old boarding house, big, beautiful uh, two, or th two, two and a half story, three story, uh, beautiful old, old home. They rented the bedrooms out. Yeah, I, it was no college students there. I was the only one. And that's how I afforded to live on just a portion of my uh, GI Bill when I got out of the military. I went to University of Nevada and uh, flunked all three semesters, got F's all the way through. I finally gave up and bought myself a truck and went trucking at 23. <laughs> I just gave up on school. I tried college five times. Flunked all five times, five different different schools, five different schools. Flunk, 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 flunk. I'm stupid in my brain. I'm not stupid in my spirit, but I'm stupid in the brain. So I can't rely on my brain to do a lot of things. That's why I can't memorize scripture. I don't have something in my brain doesn't function right. That's why I tell it a lot because people put me down because I can't memorize and quote verbatim scripture. Occasionally I can, but if I don't do it all the time, and if I miss a few days, that thing's gone. And I've had people say, oh, you need to do it this way, John. I've tried everything. I've hired tutors. I've, hired, I've read books. I've done every, I've gone to labs. I've gone to psychologists. I've gone, I've done everything. So anyways, I don't know why I said all that. <laughs> oh, I was talking about 50% income. I've talked about that because I listened to a sermon by Kenneth Hagin, uh, senior grandpa and uh, he's dead been dead for long so that's where I started my training I went to Rayma Bible Training Center for one day and the Lord took me out of that and put me at victory uh, on the Oral Roberts campus for five years anyways he was talking it was uh, pretty late in his years and he was talking about one of his times he was uh, pastoring a church he pastored different churches over about a 12-year period uh, he's been pretty much of an evangelist, traveling evangelist, but he pastored for a long, long time too. And uh, then in late 1960s, he started uh, Rayma Bible Training Center, just a little, you know, little small little place. Anyways, uh, the Lord was telling him 
that uh, he had left the church after being pastor in that church for three years, left that church, and then after he was pastor another, no, he, I think he was traveling at that time. Different, you know, he was, went to different meetings, something like that. And would do week long, you know, two, three, four week long revivals. He was a revivalist. And uh, anyways, uh, uh, God was telling him one day that, uh, you know, that last church you pastored, you robbed that church. Uh, he said, man, that just really took me back. I robbed, the, I didn't rob any church, Lord. You know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing all this. This is not exactly what he said, because I can't, you know, like I said. But uh, he said, uh, the Lord told him, you robbed it. And uh, so he repented. He said, Lord, I apologize. I didn't mean to repent, but I don't know what I did wrong. I said, I did, I'm not aware of robbing it. You didn't teach him about tithing, uh, tithes and offerings. And that's why you were broke for three years. Never could pay your bills, never could pay your mortgage. You're always out of money, never had money for anything in your family and your kids because you never taught them how to give. You never taught them my way of providing for people. And of course he went off and said why he did that. And so after he finished that revival he was on, he went back to that church and asked for a time if he could have, a, have the mic because somebody else was pastoring that church. And he stood up at the, at the uh, podium there on stage and said, uh, I want to apologize because the Lord said I had robbed you guys for three years. And uh, it had been probably six months or a year by the time he got back. And that other pastor taught on giving, you know, tithing, tithes and offerings. And the church in that last six or eight or months, 12 months, whatever it was, had prospered. The people had prospered. The church had prospered. And so there was a distinct difference between when Kenneth Hagin was pastoring that church and this new pastor was pastoring it. And the Lord told him, so he came back and the pastor said, sure, then you can preach. And so that's when Kenneth Hagin asked for his forgive, asked forgiveness. And so he began, he saw the massive value of properly teaching from the Word of God, tithes and offerings, giving. And uh, I was thinking about that and praying about that all day because I found out there was a pastor somewhere, don't know where Dory is, but he was struggling. And uh, somebody gave him some money to help, help the struggle. And my first thought was, he's doing something wrong. He's doing something wrong. And I prayed about that because that's all I heard, he's doing something wrong. And I prayed and prayed about that. And I found two or three different things in the spirit, he was doing something wrong. And I will be able to talk to him later on because I just got that news. But I'm telling you that if you're going to a church and your pastor doesn't teach you on tithing and tithes and offerings, or you say, well, tithe's not for today, that's a lie. We don't have to take offerings anymore, that's a lie. If you live a lie, you're gonna reap the consequences of what you sowed. What you sow is what you're gonna reap. You know, and tell you what, teaching on tithings, giving, offerings, all that kind of stuff is one of the most difficult messages for me to personally to preach on. I hate it because I have so much spiritual opposition. But the Lord's been after me for probably three years, four years now to do a fairly long teaching on giving and receiving out of the word, not out of the prosperity gospel, none of that junk. 
all those books. Burn them all. If you got all those prosperity books, burn them all. Don't give them away. Burn them. I ain't kidding. I was involved in all that for years and years. I know a lot about the prosperity gospel. I also know a lot about the word of faith, name and acclaim it type movement. I know all about that. I'm not talking from an outsider looking in. Oh, I was an insider, totally committed minister inside that. And uh, anyways, that's why I also get mad at ministers who say, oh, that's that charismania, or that's that phony, you know, they put charismatic Christians down. That's wicked too. See, you never put a brother or sister down. I just, that's just, I hate that. Because they want everybody to be the same. Anybody who says that, you got to be just like me. If you're not just like me, you're doing something wrong. That's not true. That is absolutely not true at all. God made everything different. Every snowflake is different. Every person's different. Everything's different. Everything's different. And uh, you just can't, you know, you just can't. Uh, God bless you, man. I'm doing a sermon, so you can listen. Is that it? All right. How you doing? Oh, my goodness. You have to come to church. You have to come to church, man. I, I, got, I got very busy. Like, I had no time to do it. It's the Wednesday. I do that Wednesday time. I'm working on it at night. Uh, once a month. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to come. Yeah. If I have time on Wednesday night, yeah. I'll be there. Yeah. I just saw you. I just want to say hi. That's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not uh, the Bible gave in my phone, too. Perfect. Perfect. So I'm, I'm still waiting for them to get Good, good. Tabs on our... Uh, YouTube channel, you know, take a look at that occasionally. I, I have not checked out the YouTube channel. Oh, that's a lot of good stuff up there. Absolutely. Yeah, I just came back from Grand Junction, so a lot of good stuff up there. Okay, definitely. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm glad to see you. I know you're doing good work. I just want to give you support. I just want to give you support. That's it. <laughs> it's a great day, man. It is a great day. <laughs> Hallelujah. Anyway, so that's a... <laughs> so what I do out here is, you know, I, I do a sermon and I put all this away because if I don't do a sermon now and I lift my banner, it, I'll, the sermon will never get done. I have to do it before I, and get, before I lift the banner. All right, let's, uh, let's move out of that giving talk. Uh, that bothers me, like I said. I ain't kidding you when I said it bothers me. It bothers me a lot because people just don't get it. And uh, I'm really sorry that they don't get it, but they don't. And uh, one day when you don't have any more money and you can't get a paycheck from your bo- boss, uh, and God says, well, you should have been giving all these years when I've been telling you to give the last 10 years, but now you don't give. There's nothing for you to reap. Your account in heaven's empty. I'm sorry that you cannot uh, do that. Hang on a second. I gotta put my gloves here because I keep hitting that steel post. So, you know, if you don't give, that's you're gonna suffer. Sorry. If you don't give, you may not suffer today, but you're gonna suffer. Like, let me give you a testimony. I've said this toast to me several times. It came to me again this morning. And that is uh, before, uh, before about 1980. Uh, four, 
84-ish. Somewhere right around that, 84, 85. Uh, before then, I was always broke. I worked around the clock. I worked hard. Sometimes had three jobs, working seven days a week. But I was always broke. I never could pay my rent or my mortgage payment. I couldn't, never could take care of the family. I was always broke. And we went to Bible school, and one of the first things they started teaching us is giving. Because we would, I have a child, at that time I had little Johnny, he was three or four years old, three years old, and we had, you know, Nancy and I. And uh, we went to Tulsa, and we were broke. <laughs> we had to beg for everything. We had to ask favor all the time, all the time. And uh, uh, we even went to the church many times that we were a part of and asked for them to, for help. Sure enough, they helped. We didn't, we didn't believe on welfare. We never went on welfare because I worked. And uh, so they started teaching us on tithes and offerings, giving, all right? And uh, Nancy and I prayed, and we had, we, uh, we had given once before, but we quit. You know, a lot of people, they give and they quit. When, when we were giving years and years earlier, this is way as four or five years earlier than that, just after we got married in uh, 79, uh, uh, we, were, we were giving uh, and we were receiving, we were prospering. And then for some reason, we quit giving. I don't know why we quit giving, we just quit giving. That's what a lot of people do today. They give, they give, and then you never see them again. They quit giving. And usually after you see them, when you see them two, three, four, five years later, they're in massive trouble. I know all about that, because I quit giving. And then for five years, we had all kinds of problems. 79, 80, 1, 2, 3, 4, yeah, five years. It was horrible, maybe four years. And so they taught us to give, and so we started giving. We couldn't give a lot, but we give. And lo and behold, uh, just shortly after we started getting, uh, giving, uh, paychecks started increasing. And my jobs started being more stable. And I was able to pay the rent. At that time, we were paying a mortgage. You know, we bought a house. How we bought the house was wrong. We, we did it the wrong way. We allowed somebody to come into our life to show us how to buy a house because we just bought a, we just leased a new truck. I'm a truck driver, leased a new truck. We thought with that new leased truck, we can afford a house, but we didn't have any down payment. And so the person lied for us and we didn't correct the lie, right? You do something and has a lie inside it, you just sowed something that's gonna end up in destruction can't fix the lie. You got to rip the lie out of there and fix it. You can't leave the lie in whatever you're doing. You lie on your taxes. You're going to reap what you sow. Sorry. You lie on things, you're going to reap. A lot of people say, oh, it's just a little white lie. Nobody's going to know about it. Yeah. God knows about it. Anyways, uh, so we lost the house because we believed the lie. We let the lie stay there. We lost the house. We also lost our truck. But we kept giving. And in that giving, except uh, like we weren't giving a lot, but we were consistently and faithfully giving. And that's what turned our life around financially. But we weren't over the hump. We still struggled because we weren't doing it the way the, way the Lord showed us in the Word of God, the way the Bible tells you how to give. We weren't doing it that way. I'm not going to go into details there. So we finished Bible school five years, and we moved to Reading, 1989, May of 89. 
And uh, during that summer, I think it was uh, probably, it, we just moved in there. It was just May, June, whatever it was. And the, the Lord gave us a big, beautiful custom home. I had my own, I bought another truck because we were giving. So God gave us another tractor and trailer and a contracts and we, we were beginning making money again because we had our own, this is our third truck. And, uh, and that's the truck that moved us out to California from Oklahoma. And uh, we, uh, uh, the Lord gave us a big, beautiful custom home, beautiful home, big pool and big three quarter acre city lot custom home. Only home like it on the whole block and the whole area, suburb was like it, it's custom. All the homes in our area were individually custom made. You know, back in the, uh, these are built in 1970, All right, this is 1989. And I said, Lord, I can't afford this home. There's no way I can afford it because it was more than I was making. It was way too much because remember, I lived on portions of my income. I didn't live on 100% of my income. That's why we would be able to give. We kept lowering our lifestyle, lowering it, lowering it until we, so we had enough to give, okay? And we kept on lowering it over the years. It didn't happen overnight. It takes a long time to get your lifestyle down to 50% of your income. Eat, a lot of people say, well, let me double my income. Well, if you do that, you're gonna double your lifestyle, is what you're gonna do, I guarantee it. If you're ever living on 20,000, and you're not living on, and you, you, you're, you're making 20,000, I'm just gonna give you these figures, they're not real. You're living, if your paycheck is 20,000 and you're living at 20,000, well, I'll make 40 and then we'll, we'll, we'll be living on half. That won't happen. When you go to 40, you'll be spending 40,000. I guarantee you. You have to lower your income first before you raise your income. That's what I did here in Boulder. I lowered my income. I mean, lowered my, outgo. I lowered my lifestyle. So I got rid of my car. I got rid of a, instead of living in a two bedroom condo, I have a studio apartment. It's cheaper. I spend, I'll save a lot of money. Instead of buying, I mean, you know, I mean, I don't go to restaurants anymore. I haven't, I don't know, go out and eat anymore. I buy all my food and take it home and cook it. I mean, so I had to lower it. It took, took a while to lower it. So anyways, uh, I told the Lord I can't afford that house. I don't know what you, you know. He said, you can afford it. I'm going to give it to you. You're going to afford it. And I said, I don't know how. What, am, what do you want me to do, Lord? And after praying back and forth, back and forth, uh, the Lord had me sit down at my little homemade desk. I didn't even buy a desk. I went down to the lumber yard and bought some cheap one-by-sixes and some two-by-twos, and I built me a little desk. Instead of spending $100 or $80 or $150 for a desk, I spent $15 and built my desk. Built my chair. In fact, the chair I sat on my desk, I found out in the field. I was trucking down the road. I saw a chair sitting out in the field. And I pulled my rig over, ran across into the ditch, up into the field, got that chair that was sitting out in the field, out in the middle of nowhere. It was a chair. Put it in the back of my rig, and I took it home, cleaned it up. That's what my desk chair for years and years and years. That was my chair. You know, a lot of people say, oh, I got to have a nice fancy chair. You know, I got to have a nice fancy desk. All right, got to spend my money. I'm not going to give it to God. I got to buy something. I got to buy a nice car. I'm rich now. I got to buy a nice car. I own, you know, whatever. And people do whatever they're going to do. I've been there too. 
I'm not, I'm just, I'm talking the way I've lived too. I've done the same thing. I bought a fancy car too. You know, it's the worst thing I should have done. You know, I also bought several new motorcycles, bought a boat, I bought all that kind of stuff. It's terrible. You know, I've spent so much money I shouldn't have spent. But fortunately, I still live in on small portion of income. Anyways, so the Lord had me sit down at my little homemade desk and said, I want you to build and create a giving program. Here I am teaching on this. I don't know why I'm teaching. A giving program. I said, all right. What's a giving program? <laughs> I don't know. He said, it, uh, what I want you to do is come up with a figure. I've told this before on some of my sermons, but it's been a couple of years since I've said this. I want you to come up with a figure that you can give every month. Even if you lost your job and you had no paycheck, you can still give this amount of money. Ooh, well, that's new. And I want you to pick out ministries. I think he said ministries first. He said, pick out ministries that relate to your ministry, your work, and your life, your family. Pick out ministries. So I did my research and I looked at different things that I'm doing in the truck and in the ministry on the streets and out in the you know, trucking world and my family and what we're doing. And so I found seven ministries that related to what we were doing. I did exactly what the Lord told me to do. It took, you know, it took a few weeks. And then I sat down and I kind of come up with a number. What kind of number can I give? What kind of dollar amount can I give to each of these ministries and commit to it for the rest of my life even if I lost my job, that took a while to think about that. That took a while, because I didn't know. I mean, because I've lost so many jobs. I mean, I'm in and out of work all the time and uh, always broke, kind of like, <laughs> but we're still giving. Anyways, uh, so after praying, I came up with a figure. I said, Lord, this is what I've come up with. Is this okay? It doesn't matter if it's okay with me. It's okay. Is it okay with you? Something like that. I said, Lord, well, I think I can do this even if I lost my job. I could probably mow a yard. I can do some babysitting. I can do some extra work somewhere, come up with enough money to, to fulfill this uh, commitment that you're having me make in this giving uh, program, giving plan, or whatever I call it, giving plan, giving program. So I think I can do that. I think I can, you know, work a weekend here or there if I needed to do that, if I lost my job. I know I can do that. And he said, this commitment is for life. I mean, that's not, you're not going to do it just for a couple days or a week, or if you get tired of it, you're going to quit. So pray, keep praying, until you know you're going to do it forever. So I kept on praying. I mean, it took me probably all summer. It was, well, maybe not all summer, probably a couple months. May, all of May, because uh, we moved there the 1st of May, all of June. Yeah, probably somewhere in the end of June, 1st of July. I'm guessing. I can't remember exactly, but sometime during the, that time. And so I sat down and I built up a ledger sheet and I wrote the, uh, the ministries. I wrote January or whatever month that we know that would have been June or July. I wrote that down. I wrote July, August, October, November, December. And then I wrote the ministries and I wrote my check. So at that time we had checks. That's how you paid everything by bank check. And so I wrote, I sat down at my desk and uh, wrote seven checks out, prayed over them, put them in the mailbox for the first time in my life. And I committed my life to giving program. And that was the last time in my entire life to this very day that 
I have not had money to pay my rent or my mortgage. Whatever, you know, if I was buying a house, paying the payments on the house, or if I was renting, paying the payments on the rent, they're paying the rent. Not one time. That was 1989, this is 2024. Not one time. I have lived in some very nice homes. Only one single thing changed in my life, and that is the giving program. And I'm trying to get that enacted in our church. And after probably a month and a half, I think it's only been a month and a half, six weeks, probably six weeks, it's still nowhere to be seen yet, but I'll keep at it. I can't tell you how serious it is to be a giver. I give on the street. Always to have money to give. I was just looking at my personal savings I have at home, my personal cash, making sure that's just, I have lots of extra cash that if I ever ran low, like I, I ran out of giving when I was in Grand Junction, I just had barely enough to make it through the day because I kind of know how much I give during each day that I'm out preaching. So I had to go into, and I didn't have any extra cash anywhere in the church envelopes. So I went into my personal envelope that I save so I can always have money to give. Always have money to give. Always. Money set aside just for giving in case I need to give. Not in case my fire, not in case my, I need a, some money, just in case to give. A lot of people save money as a cash reserve in case something goes wrong. But they never think about cash reserve in case I have no money to give. I mean, that's how serious I am with giving. So I have a cash reserve for my giving. In case for somehow, sometimes once or twice a year, I run out of cash to give. So I have to go to my special place, dig in there and find that extra cash that I have over and above my cash reserve. And I pulled out some money today, this morning, and replenished my gospel tracks, because I have it right here in my pocket my gospel tracks and my cash and my church cards. I have a pack there and I have a pack back here, right here, all ready to go. I've got 30 tracks and I've got 15, 5, 10, 15, and $30 with me. 5, 10, 15, and 15 is 30, yeah. So I got 30 tracks and $30 and six business cards, church cards. I'm ready. If I need more, I would give more, but I, don't, I typically don't run out. Where does the money come from? Does it come from my paycheck? Nope, God gives it everything. Everything I see, what you're, you're watching this on a camera. I didn't buy the camera. You see that microphone? Can't see the microphone, but I didn't buy that. See these gloves? Everything, you see this shirt? Everything God bought. God has supplied all my needs. I have a new coffee maker at home. I, years and years and years ago, I used to stay in a lot of hotels when I was traveling and uh, I always thought it'd be kind of cool to have this kind of coffee maker. You just pop a little, little tub in there and push the handle down, and there's your coffee. I thought that's kind of cool, <laughs> you know, because I, you know, I don't like coffee pots per se, so I hand make all my coffee. You know, I like that, but I always put too much coffee in there. <laughs> and so yesterday, uh, I was making coffee on Saturday, and I was using this fancy new coffee maker. But I didn't buy the coffee maker. God told somebody. By John the coffee maker. I didn't ask for a coffee maker. I never talk about it. Have I ever talked about a coffee maker on this? No. 
I have never even brought it up. It's between me and God. But now, it's sitting on my kitchen counter. <laughs> I was so excited. I thought, these coffees are really smooth. They're smooth because I don't add, I, I probably do too much. I probably double my coffee in my deal, and so they're always too strong and kind of sharp. But I just put up with it. But there, it was like smooth. I made three cups of coffee because they're really light and small. And I thought, man, everyone, everyone was just so smooth. I like predictability too. And when I make coffee, no two cups are the same. <laughs> it's just always different. Uh, what am I going to have today? <laughs> you know. <laughs> and uh, uh, so that coffee maker is kind of cool. That looks kind of nice too on the counter. I didn't buy it. You know, I, you know, everything you see. I was praying about a carpet. I had a 20-year-old carpet that's all faded out, starting to tear up and stretch. I said, Lord, I, I need a new carpet. But I'm not going to spend my money to go buy it. I'm going to pray because I have money in heaven. I have an account full in heaven. And I draw on that account all the time, all the time, all the time. But I'm also putting in the account all the time, all the time, all the time. I don't lay up my treasure on earth. On earth. I lay my treasure up in heaven. So I don't steal it. I don't put my hand in the bucket. I don't spend something I don't spend. I put everything in my heavenly account, everything. <laughs> That takes a long time to figure out how to do that. So I'm praying, and I just don't reach in my bucket up there in heaven and pull out money for a rug, because I can't do that. I've already transferred it to heaven, and God watches over my account. And so what happens? I'm praying and praying and praying. I've been praying for that carpet for probably two years. See, but people don't want to pray for two years. Has it been two years? Yeah, probably two years, maybe a little bit longer two years. But they don't want to pray for it. They want to go, when they want a carpet, they want to take their credit card and go down to the store and buy a carpet today. Let's go down and buy a carpet. We need a carpet. Let's buy a carpet. I don't do that. I've never done that. I haven't done that in 30 years. I pray. And I pray and pray and wait upon the Lord. Because I'm not, am I worried that I won't have a new carpet? Because it was really a mess. And, but I didn't move it. I was going to get rid of it. And I've been replacing my carpets because I have a lot of throw rugs on the floor that we have here. Or I have. And, uh, but this one carpet is bigger than others. And so it was really expensive, I thought. And here, last week, the Lord says, I want you to buy this right here. I want, I want you to get this carpet here. And I went right to the website. I went right to the page. I went right to the carpet, and there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of car carpets you can pick from. And I hate making choices. I want to go right to what I need and buy that thing that I get. I don't want to go through pages and pages and look through all these. I want to hear from God and do what God tells me to do. So God said, go here, go to this page, there's your, there's your carpet, click buy. Oh, wow, okay. I went boom, 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 done. In about one minute. And then I pray, I said, Lord, I, they said they're gonna send it while I'm in Grand Junction. I said, I, I, so I read a note, send it after I come back. And I said, I said Lord, I don't wanna sit out outside when I'm gone. He says, you know, it won't be outside when you, just hang on, wait. And so a day before I went to Grand Junction, it was, it, 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 no, it was gonna take like five or six days to get the carpet from wherever it was at to, where, to me. They sent it in two days, like a day and a half. Two days. I mean, I couldn't believe it. I was like, I opened the door, God says, go outside. I was like, 
I don't, a lot of people think this is silly. I'm making all this stuff up, but I don't know, for those who don't believe, they think I'm making it up, so believe what you want. God says, you gone outside yet? Because I'm praying about the carpet. I said, Lord, I know they're not going to deliver it. I don't want the carpet because I know somebody's going to steal it. And I don't want it outside when I'm, I'm uh, in Grand Junction. And so I've been praying that for like two days. And then on one day, I was here at home. Have you gone outside yet? No. Check outside. <laughs> I said, okay. I get up from where I'm sitting, put my Bible down or book or whatever I'm doing. And I go outside, open the door, and there's the carpet laying right there in front of the door. I go, I mean, all rolled up in plastic. I go, wow, look at that. <laughs> I can hardly believe it. I got so excited. I looked around. I said, wow, look at this, man. This is crazy. This is crazy. I mean, it's amazing. If I brought the carpet, it's that. Wow, Lord, we have the carpet before I go to Grand Junction. You see, all these testimonies, I've got to, I can talk for another five days on testimonies on all the things that God has done in my life. It's amazing. God is real. He's not some imaginary phony crutch that Christians hang on to, that other people think. So make God real to other people. You know, you tell enough testimonies, people are going to say, well, I don't know what's going on. I mean, I don't know if God's real or not, but that, something's going on with that guy because everything seems to always be happening for him. I, I, I can keep going on. I've got so many stories. But all this, what I'm talking about, actually is a prelude to what we're preaching on this week and actually all year long. Because in fire, if you don't have a testimony, that fire is going to burn and it's going to hurt you and it's going to bother you a lot. The fire of God. So here in GC Sunday Prayer Letter, uh, number 246, I've written two. This is number 246. I've written 246 letters. That's called faithfulness. I've missed a few, yes, no doubt about that, but I'm still going, still trucking. This is the January 28th to February 3rd. You know, people still don't sign up for that. I beg people to sign up, nobody signs up. They listen to me, and it goes in one ear and out the other. I can hardly believe it. They go down to the mobile phone place. Can I have your email? Oh yeah, here's my email. They go down to the grocery store. Can I have your email? Here's my email. You go down to the bank, here's my email. A preacher asks you to put your, uh, put your email in there? Oh, I can't do that. What's that about? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, and I still only have 34 people who have said yes. And that's over since ni that's 2018. 1920 to 23. now we're in 24. Six years, and only 34 people said, yeah, send me that prayer letter. Six people. I mean, uh, six years, 34 people. I think that's amazing. Why? I don't know. I'm on other people's mailing list. I'm on other people's mailing list. Anyways, so this title of this letter for this week is called Sin Offering. <laughs> Sin Offering. <laughs> and it relates to the first verse in our uh, scriptures here, Exodus 29, 14. Uh, um, so I, I need to show you this. I don't know if you can see it or not. But when the Lord had me do these 506 verses uh, in the uh, Bible, uh, this is week number five, uh, 42 verses we're at now of the 506. And so I prayed to the Lord, how am I going to keep track of all these verses? 
and how do you want me to do this? And so this is how he showed me to do it. This is how we do it in our church. So he had me go way over here and said, put the first, now I'm gonna do it this way, but the first time it was mentioned, fire was mentioned, first time it was mentioned, then go to over here to the last time it was, I don't know if you can see this, last time it was mentioned. Then go to the next time it was mentioned, come up from the back, this is the front, this is the back. So you come up from the front and the back all the way to the center, and this center figure thing right here is, uh, is an ampersand ampersand, something like that. And uh, uh, it means that there's something important standing here. In the King James 1611, they used the, the, the 27th letter of the alphabet. It's called an amper, A-M-P-E-R-S-A-N-D, ampersand, 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 something like that. Lord said to put that here, all right? And said, these are like outstretched arms, and this is like a soldier of Christ and the fire comes in and if he's that soldier is not pure it comes right in and burns the chaff out of that soldier and if he's not watching he'll, he'll burns all the wood hay and stubble out of his life too so that soldier becomes very pure in the fire of god and it's and he's standing in the center of the word of god stands in the center of the word of god clothed in the armor of god with fire coming up both arms so that's kind of like the head, the feet, you know, one hand, the other hand, like a cross. Like, wow. So that's how we're doing it. So on this this Sunday here, the next first coming in, so this is how many, this is number five, so uh, this is the fourth time. Number one, we didn't do, we did something a little different. We set a stage for, in Luke chapter three, on uh, when John Baptist said, uh, Jesus Christ will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. We talked on that for a week. All right. And uh, for example, this gentleman here, he came to our church a couple different times. We prayed over him. We cast a couple devils out of him. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, he said, I'm going to check out your YouTube channel a month ago. And he's not checked out the YouTube channel. He watches YouTube because I'm on YouTube all the time. I, I'm, I'm very active in YouTube. But he hasn't watched our channel. But he's come to our church. He's prayed. We prayed over him. In fact, he didn't have an offering. We gave him an offering to make sure he gave. You see, that's an example right there. Will he do it? I don't know. Does he know I'm talking about him? I don't know. I don't care. I don't believe a word anybody tells me. Not a word. If I see the whites of your eyes, then I can believe it. But only for that one single time. Because people of all my life have told me what they're going to do, and nobody does it. So, I, it goes in one ear and out the other for me. I could care less. Because I already know people lie. Oh, I have the intention in my heart, I'm going to do it. What did Jesus say? The guy said, go out in the field, son. Go to work. So okay, I'll do that. He never shows up. The other guy says, I'm not going to go out. The other son, go out in the field and work, man. It's time, I'm going to stay home. I'm not going to go out there, Dad. You go out there. I don't want to. I'm going to stay home. i got other things to do. After an hour, he thought about it. He said, I'm going to go out there anyways. He didn't tell his dad. He just went out in the field and went to work. Jesus asked everybody, who did the will of the Father? The one who says, oh yeah, Dad, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. I got my boots on, my coat on, I'm ready to go. But never went. Well, the guy said, I ain't going to do it, but did it anyways. The guy who does it, the guy who does it, 
Am I out here preaching a sermon on the street? That's right. Am I thinking about it at home? Or am I reading my Bible, wondering what to do next? Yeah, read your Bible, but when you're done, come out and preach a sermon. Get a camera out there and preach a sermon. Or whatever. Do whatever God tells you to do. Anyways, that's what this is all about. Because if he knew what we were doing, he doesn't read the letter, he doesn't come to church, and he doesn't uh, watch our YouTube channel, so he doesn't know. So he's stuck. He's too busy. Well, there's another parable there. And God says, uh, come on into the marriage Oh, I can't. I got to go to work. All right, find somebody else. Oh, I can't because I got a business to run. Oh, I can't. Or I got a te- uh, another guy. I got a test. Of- I got an exam to take. I got to study for my test. I got to go get married. I got to go eat. My cat is sick. My shoelace is broke. I can't come to the wedding feast. God says, forget all those guys. Go out there in the highways and byways. You see, people have excuses. People have excuses. All the time. You'll never get away from people having excuses. There are street preachers that I have talked to on the street in all the different cities I've gone to. who said, I used to do that. Well, come on here and preach. Oh, I don't do that anymore. They quit. I've had people that says, I'm going to come out and preach with you. I'm going to come out and preach with you. I'm going to come and never show up. Years and years and years. I've had that all my life. That's why when you find somebody who says that I'm going to do that, and they do it, you go, oh, that's weird. I'm gonna, I don't believe it. I'm going to check it a second time. And the third time, oh, that's pretty interesting there. Then three times in a row. It's like going to f- get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and traipsing around in the snow and the cold in the wintertime around Boulder High School on Wednesday mornings. I committed to that. I didn't commit to it for one day. Oh, I'm gonna do it one day with you, Brent. No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it every day, unless I'm so sick or in the hospital, I can't do it. Or out of town, I was out of town last Wednesday. Can't come over here, because I'm in Grand Junction, outside of the state. See, all that is giving. But if you don't give, you're not gonna receive. Sorry, you're just not going to receive. You've got to give first. First, you've got to give. So you got to look around your house, look around your life, and if you don't have anything, then Jesus told one guy to sell it all, give it all away, lay up treasure in heaven, come follow me. I can't do that. I got too much money. I can't sell my. That's what God told me. Sell your business. No, He didn't sell that. He said, give your business away. My third truck. How many people, if God came up to you and says, I want you to give your company away. That's what supplied our income. We had contracts. We were running lumber and steel. We had contracts to fulfill. I want you to give that away. It's part of the giving program. That's the first thing God told me to give when I started my giving program. That was hard. I said, Lord, all right. Because I committed to the giving program. All right, I'll do that. This is the summer of 89. So Lord, where am I going to give a trucking company away to? Tractor, trailer, all the chains, all the tarps, all the bindings, all the plates, all the insurance, all the permits, all the contracts, all the, the lease, everything. Give it all away. All of our books that they can use, everything. It's a nice rig. Had Jesus as Lord on the side of the cab. <laughs> Repainted my flatbed. Looked nice. It looked beautiful. Made a lot of money. Broke down a lot too, but it made a lot of money, that truck. And uh, the Lord, I don't know, who, how would I give a truck, how do you give a trucking company away? 
So I have to pray for the giver. Where, where's the field? Where's the ground that I'm going to sow into? A lot of people just toss their money here and there. Somebody gives something, oh, I got to give too. Did God tell you to give to that person? No, but you're giving. Well, God told me to give. Did God tell you? No, I'm just doing it because you're doing it. Don't keep your money. I've told people so many times, keep your money. God didn't tell you to do that, don't do it. God told me to do it, so I'm doing it. I, it's just, people do things because they feels good to them, and they're gonna get no reward. That does not lay treasure up in heaven. Being obedient to God is what lays treasure up in heaven. Because if you're not obedient, this fire is gonna do damage to your life. It's gonna do damage. It's gonna do damage. You know what, a lot of times that happens, this has happened probably 20, 30, 40 times in the last, all my life. I'll give them two or three or four dollars because I don't give a lot to the people on the street. They don't need a lot of money, they just need a little bit. So I give them a little bit. And what do the other people do? In most cases, they ain't give them a $20 bill or a $50 bill. I had one person give them a $100 bill. I said, what are you doing? Gave him a $100 bill. I was, some lady I was ministering to. Gave him a $100 bill. I'm ministering. How much did they give me? Zero. Uh -huh. They gave me a dinner. Uh, and that was a cheap dinner. Uh -huh. $100. You, oh, I, ha I have to give. I have to give. I have to look. Whatever. You have to pray first. So I'm praying. I, I got the truck. I'm going to give it as a seed. But you just can't give it any place you want to give it. You've got to find where God wants you to give your offering. And so I prayed. <laughs> All right, so anyways. So, uh, working on a Sunday. <laughs> wow. Oh my goodness, that's a lot. <laughs> well, I've talked to those guys before. Anyways, uh, so I prayed for a long time. One day the Lord says, get in your car, I want to show you something. I got in my car. Which way do you want me to go? Turn left. So I'd go down the road, turn here, turn here, turn, you know, that kind of stuff. I've done that, I've talked about that before. And I pull into an old truck stop in Reading. That's not really, it's still a truck stop, but it's on the old highway. And on 273, the old highway. And it was the old truck stop there, which not using it because they built the freeway. And uh, the garage that was there, I think he had two truck bays. And the Lord said to go in there and talk to the guy that's in there. Talk to him that's in there. So talk to the guy you see. And so I did that. And through a series of events, I gave that gentleman my company. And I could tell the rest, it was very miraculous. It, it literally changed his life. He sold his, he sold his uh, mechanic's shop within the next few months, and he went trucking, up and down I-5 trucking. Holland Wood, Holland Lumber, up and down I-5. I've seen him several times after that, smiling, hand out the window, smiling, going down the road, man. 
<laughs> God gave me a truck. <laughs> Says Jesus is Lord. He's a Christian man. Couldn't stop crying the whole time I was talking to him. Couldn't stop crying. Touched my heart, man. Touched my heart. I had no income. I had no job. I had no, I didn't, well, uh, John, did you have a job? No, I had no job. I did what, the, that was our income. Everything came from the truck. We moved with the truck. We paid for the, the moving. We paid for everything with the truck. And God says, give that truck away. I didn't have another job. I didn't have anything to fall back to. I just moved to Reading. Didn't have anything. You see, that's what I'm talking about giving. God had a plan. I had already been cured with fire. I have lived in a holy life. At that time. <laughs> I had problems after that. Anyways, uh, that was uh, probably uh, July or so. August, I don't know. Towards the end of September, middle of September, first of September, sometime in September of 1989, the Lord says, I want you to take another drive. Said, All right. I had two drives with the Lord in Reading. And I got on my old, big old white boat of a 98 Oldsmobile, four-door sedan. <laughs> we had kids and stuff. We had two kids at that time. But it's big enough to pull our sailboat. Anyways, uh, I went for a drive. And he says, pull into here. And uh, I never would have found this place, not in a million years, if God hadn't showed me to it. He says, go in there. I pull in there. I says, Lord, I'm not looking for a job. Because I saw all the trucks. There's a truck yard. And I thought it was owner-operators because they were absolute gorgeous rigs. Beautiful tractors, beautiful trailers. I mean, all the guys had nice cars in the parking lot there. All the guys, because it was a Saturday, it looked like. Or maybe it was during the week. It was during the time when all the trucks, a lot of the trucks were in. So I saw a lot of the drivers, and they're all dressed very nice. They weren't a bunch of bums. Or the Penn and Trumpies like that. Beat up rigs and beat up drivers and beat up everything. These are all nice. Truck yard was old. I didn't realize it was a temporary location. But it had beautiful rigs, good-looking people, good, well-dressed, nice cars. So you know they're making money. I thought they were owner-operators. I gave my truck away. And the Lord says, go in there and ask him. I said, what do you want me to do here, Lord? Go in the office, go in there, because I parked right in front of the office. Go in there and ask them how much they pay. That's what he told me. So what am I going to do? Say something else? See, that's the problem right there. God tells you to say these words, and then you say something else. And you can't figure out why God doesn't bless you. Right. That's why I pray the fire of God fall on you so you burn yourself out of you. Burn that chaff out of you. Burn your self-centeredness out of you. Burn that pride out of you. Burn you or your abilities out. Burn everything out of your life. That's what I pray. And quit depending on your own physical abilities and trust fully and completely in Almighty God. Quit sidestepping God. So I went in there, and I said exactly the word God told me to do. I walked in there. I didn't even say hello. I didn't say good morning or nothing. I said, I walked in there, and the first guy I saw was the guy sitting behind the desk. I said, how much you guys pay here? <laughs> I didn't even say hello. God didn't say tell me. 
say hello and say that I didn't God didn't tell me to do that God said ask them how much they pay so I walked in there how much you guys pay how much you guys pay or whatever something like that I said exactly what the Lord told me to say word for word verbatim I said all right thank you and I walked out the door that's because I did what God told me to do I walked out the door I was out the door the door was closed I was down the stairs at the bottom going to my car and the guy comes running out of the, actually came running out of the store because he thought I was around the corner. He came, opened the door, came running down the stairs. Excuse me, excuse me. That's what he said. Excuse me, excuse me. Would you like to take a road test? <laughs> I said, sure, why not? <laughs> and so I got one of the big, beautiful rigs. And we went north, came back. Bob Kyle, what's his name? Bob Kyle. I asked Bob, Bob, how long have you been here? He said, I've been here five years. This is my fifth year. And I looked at him in shock and horror. You're kidding me. Five? I have never met anybody except for one person in all my years of trucking. I was expecting two years, six months, 18 months, something like, you know, something, five years. He stayed there till he died. Couldn't believe it. And so I said, do I get an A? I said, I don't give A's, I give B. You got a B, A minus or whatever it was. I said, I said, would you come in the office? I said, sure, why not? I said, I went in the office and uh, Bob Kyle, he got his uh, uh, application. Do you want to fill this application out? I said, fill the application out. I'm not looking for a job. I said, would you fill it? You want to fill it out anyways? I said, yeah, sure, why not? That's how nonchalant I was. I didn't care. I didn't know what God was doing. Lo and behold, the whole time, the owner of the company was sitting in the next office listening, and the owner of the company told Bob, go out there and give him a road test. <laughs> he didn't ask for my driver's license. He didn't even look at my driver's license. Didn't look at a DOT physical. Didn't check, didn't ask anything. That is unheard of. You just don't do that. You don't put somebody behind your $100,000 rig and run down the highway. You'll, get, you'll, you'll lose your business. But that's what Steve Youngman did. Go out and give that guy a road test, Bob. Bob comes running out. Sir, excuse me, excuse me. Bob Kyle. <laughs> anyway, so I said, okay. So I went home, did the, uh, went home with my application, filled out the application. Next day, I took it back to him. I said, here's the application. And says, uh, then he said, uh, uh, when can you, didn't even look at anything in the application. I said, when can you go to work? <laughs> I said, when can you go to work? I said, work? <laughs> I'm not, I don't know. How about in two weeks? <laughs> he said, two weeks? Yeah, I got things to do, you know. I got, you know I'll give you a two-week notice <laughs> to go to work. Not a two-week notice to quit, but a two-week notice to go to work. <laughs> I said, all right, well, give us a call when you're ready to go to work. <laughs> That's what he told me. <laughs> so in two weeks, I gave him a call. I think it was a Monday morning. I gave him a call two weeks later. He says, okay, ready to go to work. <laughs> I said, all right, can you come down tomorrow morning about noon? I said, I can do that. I went down there Tuesday morning. I got there probably 11 o'clock and uh, early, you know, on a Tuesday. He says, I want you to take 413 and you're going to run north. I said I was going to go south. I want you to run north. You're going to run from Reading to Seattle. I found out that that was the premium run. You don't give any new driver 
the southbound run into LA. I mean, to northbound. All the new drivers go south into LA. And it's just a mess. You know, it's just horrible. And he gave me this gravy run, this <laughs> beautiful run to Seattle in 4.13. And I ran that northbound route for 27 years, minus a few years that I took off. Except a few, except a few years that I took off for missionary work. When I uh, was going to work that two weeks later, Steve asked me a question. He says, uh, this is after they looked at the application, they did the review and they called me, you know, background check. Because you need 10 year history, I'll document it. If you don't have 10 year documented history, you can't drive a truck. And anyways, uh, so he asked me a question. You gonna stick around for a while? That's what he said. That's, all he's, that's the first words I ever heard Steve Youngman talk to me. First time I ever heard him speak to me. So you gonna stick around for a while? He was a hardcore Italian. He was sharp and he ruled by an iron fist. And he had anger out the window. He had massive anger problem. And I asked him, it says, how long is a while? <laughs> I asked him, how long is a while? And he said, oh, a couple years. Because I'll be here a couple years. Yeah, I'll stick around a couple years. I lasted longer than he. Yeah, he died several years before I retired. I witnessed to him and talked to him about the Lord for all those years. He knew I was a preacher. He knew I was a minister. I was the only driver in all those two and a half, 20 years plus, 25, 20, 27 years, 1989 to 2017, that he ever cussed at. He didn't use one cuss word ever for all those years, but he would, his mouth was so vile to every other driver and many of those drivers were Christians, but he never one time cursed at me. Not one, one word ever came out of his mouth, and I, I made him mad at me many, many, many times. Because I'm kind of a renegade, kind of a know-it-all, big mouth person, as you know. Think I know what I'm doing all the time. I'm, I'm a hard guy to get to know. People don't hang around me because that's why you don't hang, they don't hang around me because they don't like me. But God must like me because he hangs around me. Gives me, always gives me work to do. And, uh, uh, but he not one time. And Steve Youngman became the number two man in my life. Paul Goboth was number one. Steve Youngman was number two. Those two guys are the only two guys when I was going through the biggest, now I'm gonna cry. When I went through the biggest tragedy of my entire life, even to this day, is still the biggest tragedy I've ever suffered. Those two men, Paul Graboth and Steve Youngman, stood beside me. I tell you, they stood with me for the years it took me to get through that massive, massive tragedy that hit my life. Even when I was on my deathbed during that tragedy, they stood by me. All that, all the story I just told you came from one event. 
giving. Giving. Giving, 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 giving. And people tell me I haven't got any money to give. How sad. You're going to reap some something that you wish you had never reaped. I have reaped horror till I was 29, 30 years old. Horror. I went through probably 400 jobs. Never could hang on to a job. My average job length was two and a half months. Two and a half months. My shortest was one day. I was always working, never without a job. Always had a job. Always had another job to go to because I'm a hard worker. But I hated every job I ever had. Hated every one of them. I can't stand working. Never did what I wanted to do because I'm stupid. I can't get the jobs that I wanted to have, that I desired and I dreamed about when I was a boy, a little growing up. I didn't know that God was gonna give me a brain that can't handle any of those jobs. Not one single job. Every job I've had to be a manual laborer. And I've worked at slave camps, slave labor camps. Yeah, I'd go down in the morning and I've roofed, roofed I've done all, you name it, I've done. I've done every kind of job you could possibly imagine. And you just name it, I've probably done, except being a doctor, obviously. But labor type jobs. Little did I know that if God would have given me a brain that's smart and intelligent like my brother and my sister, I would have struggled in, I probably wouldn't be standing here right now. Because I have to depend on my spirit which is with the Spirit of God with all my life. I'm not blessed to have that kind of brain. So I'm not blessed to figure it out, well, I can't give today. I just do it like a kid would do it. Dad says to give, okay, Dad, how much? One dollar, okay, here you go. The kid doesn't think, well, that's the only dollar I got, Dad. The kid never thinks that. The kid says, oh, a dollar, okay, I got a dollar right here. That's the only thing he's got in his pocket. That's what a kid does, that's what John does. God says, give this, okay, here we go. Now what do I do? What happens if I didn't give that trucking company away? I tell you, that trucking company saved my life. That trucking company laid the foundation for this ministry, laid the foundation for Gospel Evangelist Church. Giving away my trucking company, laid the foundation for the rest of my life, and that was in 1989, I was 35 years old. I'm 70 now, this year I'll be 71. You can't tell me that what I'm talking about is just fluff. Most people are not even listening to me right now. Yeah, most everybody's already clicked off. And if they are listening, it's not really that important to them. Because if it was, I'd have a steady stream of dollar bills coming into the church account. But I get a dollar bill that comes in, and then it never, nothing, no more from that source. Maybe six months down the road, another dollar will come into the church. Nothing comes to me personally, it all goes to the church, except for one or two people who have designated this does not go to the church, it goes to you personally. So I've had to pray about that. God has made it, made it clear to me, when somebody says that, I have to receive it for me personally. That's really hard for me to understand that. Because everything goes to the church. I don't need anything in life. I just need Jesus. This is all about fire. You think I'm talking, I'm talking about fire? I'm talking about fire. 
Jesus said, everyone shall be salted with fire. Everyone. That fire is going to burn the junk out of your life like you can't believe. I've got a lot of people I pray for. I pray the fire of God to come on them. I'm doing something right now, starting today. This is day one of something. I'm not going to talk about it right now. I'm going to talk about it as time goes on. But I'm starting something today that I've never been able to do in my entire life. I've tried it many, 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 many times, and I have failed all the time. God says today is day one. This is my first day of what God wants me to do. How am I going to get it done? Because I'm a giver. I give. Therefore, I can receive what I need to do this thing that God's told me to do, that this is day one. There's no way I can do what I'm going to be doing over the next several months if I wasn't a giver. No way. Not in a million years could I have done it. It's a big deal. It is so big that another brother of mine that I've talked to about, it's so big that he's willing to cancel his world trip if God told him to. Give up his world trip. That's how important the Lord's asked me to do this. That's, the, that's what he sees, the value, the, in, the importance of this. No way I can do it if I wasn't a giver. Not in a million years. It's because of this. It's because of the fire that's in my life. 1994, 90, 95. Fire of God hit me there in Bethel Church. The fire of God hit me and changed my life. Fire of God came down into Bethel Church and it changed me. That first day, that first Sunday, Basil Howard Brown stood up there and said, who wants the fire of God? I jumped out of my, who's hungry? Who's thirsty for the fire of God? And I jumped out of my seat. There's probably 2,500 people sitting in the stadium in the auditorium. I, I, was, I leaped out of that chair. I was so hungry for God and thirsty for God in my life. And I looked across the 2,500 people and I counted them. Six people, me and six others. One, two, three, four, maybe five and me, six others. Six of us out of 2,500 people are the only ones that jumped to their feet. And Basil said, fire in the name of Jesus. And all six of us, man, we just blew out. And I was out for like four or five, six hours. I tell you, the fire of God hit me, and it's never stopped. Not one day. And people all over in the body of Christ say, oh, that's from Satan. That's from Satan. That's from Satan. That's wicked. That's evil. That changed my life. My ministry skyrocketed, and it's still skyrocketing since 1995. But I got Christian brothers and sisters who put all that down and say, that's from the devil. That's from the devil. Well, I don't know about that, but I'm leading people by the multitudes to Christ. I'm laying hands on the sick. They're being filled with the Holy Ghost, and they're being filled with the fire of God, and they're living holy lives. You can talk and put down God, move of God all you want. It doesn't matter to me. It matters between you and God. I could care less. I know what God's doing. Gospel Evangelist Church will exist. It shall exist in Boulder and in Colorado. No question about that. No question about it. God is building this church. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. I thank you, Lord. The fire of God is in my life. I can't see it. 
but I know it's here, and I see the results thereof, and I pray, Lord, with all my heart that people who are listening, who are hungry and thirsty here on this camera, here listening and where, where they are, that they too receive fire from Almighty God. Let the fire fall in their life. Let the fire of God fall in their life, Lord, in Jesus' name, just like it fell in the day of Pentecost. And I thank you, Lord, for using me as an example. I thank you, Lord, for this sermon. It's nothing that I thought I was going to preach on like normal, but that's okay because I'm not in it for myself. I'm in it for you, Lord. I'm in it for you. Not in it for me. I could care less. I'm not building a following. I'm not building anything. I don't need a worldly kingdom. I don't need anything on this earth because I'm going to heaven and I'm giving it all I got before I go home. And I thank you, Lord, that you're allowing me this great opportunity to give it all, to pour everything in my life out to the people. And that's what I'll do today. I'll pour out my heart all day long. I'll pour out my heart. I'll pour out my heart. I'll pour out my heart till there's nothing left. Because I know that when there's nothing left, you'll fill it up. I don't have to just keep a little bit. I can empty it out. In your name, Jesus. Amen. And amen. Amen. All right, man. I'm going to let you go. Thank you for listening. God bless you. Take care. Bye-bye.